Welcome in, it's TYT The Conversation, and I am your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today we have Mr. Chris Stewart. He's a co-host of Eight Black Hands Podcast, as well as CEO of Brightbeam. That's a nonprofit network that focuses on education activism. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so Chris, I know we are still very much in this era of a lot of CRT issues in terms of critical race theory and people assuming they know what it is, but also taking and uh, taking a bunch of liberties and going into strides as far as education goes. Uh, what have you been seeing? You know, I think it's morphed to be bigger than the issue was before when we started tracking it earlier in the summer. We just thought it was going to be about uh, passing a few laws about what people can do, what they can teach in history with some very vague high level lessons, but we're, we're starting to see some particulars that are really bothersome. Um, we can see teachers that are going to be uh, fined for teaching things as benign as like the stories of Ruby Bridges. Uh, we're seeing things like Martin Luther King's speeches being removed from curriculum. And <laughs> that's the Martin Luther King uh, um, nationally. Um, and it's 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 uh, it's deeply problematic because we knew that it would come down to removing things like ethnic studies from the coursework. We knew that it would come down to things like uh, attacking diversity and inclusion programs in schools that are meant for to help kids of color actually do well uh, in school. But we never really thought that it would get down this far to banning critical text, things that like are in the historic record, like. The I have a dream speech, uh, um, letter from a Birmingham jail, uh, the story of some of the first black people that integrated public schools. Yeah, it's this, it sounds baffling because this is not just black history, it's American history. And you know, you want to teach history because it is a part of our past, but also so sometimes it doesn't become a part of our future. And so when you've seen these efforts to essentially engage in erasure and have the state or government put that force of law behind it, how are you seeing people respond? Well, I think that's one of the really more troubling parts is that I don't think that there's enough activism on the ground to push back on the efforts. These are very organized parents that are working with national foundations, very heavily funded organizations to push the anti-CRT fight and battle down to the school and grassroots level. But they're not, I think they're not facing enough community pushback as these parents show up to school board meetings making big demands demanding what are just there's no other other way to call it kind of a, a white lash of proposals to to turn the clock back on on uh, on our history and on the way that we teach things they're not facing enough resistance they're not seeing enough counter proposals from parents and they're not being shouted down enough just if i can make it as plain as possible we have to start organizing we have to start working with our teachers and we have to start working with our teachers unions. We have to start working with people on the ground to be visible, be seen, be heard. And for parents that actually have kids of color or are maybe allies, this is mission critical. This is the time to actually show up and participate in your local government. It would definitely seem to be very critical because this erasure, all it does is further and advance white supremacy. Um, you know, and it continues to allow for narratives that do promote white supremacy to infiltrate a lot of people's mindsets. And so, one thing I would love to ask you in terms of the activism that is necessary, what would you like? more people to do, because I'm sure there are a number of people out there who are thinking, well, I don't have any power, there's nothing I can do. What would you tell people? 
First of all, you have so much power. <laughs> you have a ton of power just as a regular citizen, as a parent, as a local person who engages your school board. The next play is really for uh, the, the forces that are against CRT to start running slates of school board candidates and to start taking over local school boards. That's in their playbook. It's been, you know, it's been well documented nationally that this is the play for them. So as people start voting, in school board elections, paying attention to who's running, asking questions of candidates, and hopefully also running counter candidates who do care about equity. That really is the play to resist them. It's on the local level, so you can't get any more local than your local school board. Pay attention, watch, watch what's going on with your schools, and also engage your schools. Engage the superintendent, the principal of your own school, your teachers, and find out where your local area is on teaching the true history and where they stand on these particular issues so that you're not surprised when your child comes home and tells you that they have stopped them from engaging in some important piece of work or they've banned books like To Kill a Mockingbird, for instance. Yes, that definitely sounds an important important task that must be undertaken. And something I recall is back in you know the 60s when we had Brown v. Board and the Supreme Court said we have to desegregate schools and that there must be integration. I know, especially in the South, it took decades for that to come to pass in part because we had a lot of white people who were essentially tearing apart the schools and the education system in hopes of avoiding desegregation. And so that ended up having long-term consequences for all of us in terms of education and knowledge and people not getting information that they needed. And so how do you foresee the long-term impact being if CRT, which isn't really even what they're banning, <laughs> if essentially when they're removing no. this information in this literature, what do you see long-term how that's gonna impact individuals when it comes to knowledge? Well, I mean, we just can't make Americans dumber about the government and the history that they live in. And that's exactly what we're on track to do right now is we are literally removing things from the text or preventing people from learning things that would make them better Americans. And there is a consequence to that. The consequence is you, you're gonna have less educated people. We saw on January 6th what it means for America to have large swaths of undereducated people who don't understand how government works. Uh, who believe in really weird things, uh, the power that they can have to disrupt democracy. Um, that's gonna happen again in bigger, bigger numbers if we continue to dumb down what happens in schools. We have to teach kids the truth. We have to teach them the real history so that they don't repeat it. And we have to make everyone smarter. I like what you said earlier. This isn't about black history or brown history or Chicano history or any one specific kind of history. America's history is rich and diverse and we should teach it all to our kids. Absolutely, and do you know, is there any kind of particularly effort or movement that Brightbeam might be invested in or any other kind of national maybe organization that you can direct people to? You know, I would say right now we need bigger allies and friends in the, the traditional civil rights community to be pushing this as an issue. It has been notable that both the, the national teachers unions have come out uh, to say that they are going to resist the fines and the, uh, the, the crackdown and muzzling of teachers. I think parents should support, should support those efforts, should do everything you can to support your local teachers who do wanna be on the right side of history, your local superintendents and your school boards.
Yeah, I definitely, I agree with you. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in part because we're still battling this pandemic and it's not necessarily getting any better in part because, hey, we got a bunch of uneducated people out there. You know how <laughs> ironic is that? Um, but it seems that people are maybe of a mindset of thinking that they have bigger fish to fry since we are still dealing with the pandemic. Do you think that's what's happening with the mindsets out there? I hope not. We need to chew gum and and walk at the same time. Our democracy is under threat. Our freedom of speech is under threat, and our academic freedom is under threat. And all of these are corrosive. All of these very right wing authoritarian movement affects on us are dangerous. They're dangerous to our children in schools. They're dangerous to us in the court of public opinion and in politics. And it's dangerous to our electoral process. Thinking people. Uh, of good faith are under attack in the United States. I think that's my headline for all of us. And as parents, we can do our job by fighting it in the schools. Yes, uh, most definitely that is something that needs to be done. So in terms of what Brightbeam has on uh, on the map and what's coming up, um, I guess give our viewers a little insight. So we are gonna be spending a lot of time this year making sure that we lift up the voices of grassroots parents, students, educators, so that the world can hear the unheard parents, the parents that don't always get the shine in popular media. And they're not the ones that um, that you expect to be telling the stories. We need to hear more from, from uh, low income districts, low income families. And Brightbeam is gonna be pushing the issue of child justice uh, on behalf of those families and lifting up their voices so everybody can hear them. That is excellent. And so how can more people get involved with um, all of kind of these movements that Brightbeam is going to be involved in and uplifting? Come to brightbeamnetwork.org, find us, join up, sign up for our uh, various newsletters that we have. And you will get uh, in your email box all of the actions that we are pushing. And you can help us be like good warriors for child justice. Fantastic, and we have just about one minute more. So I will open the floor to you. Is there any other notes you would like to drop or any other thoughts? You know, I actually just want us to be strong about making sure that we're keeping our kids safe and that we are following all the guidelines that will keep them safe. We are not through the pandemic the way that some of us seem to think that we are through with it. We don't know what's gonna happen at the beginning of school year. We have to be willing and ready and able to be flexible. Maybe all of our kids are not going back to school or maybe they will need a remote option. But be careful, be safe, be smart and abide by the science, live by the science. Thank you so much for joining us everybody, Chris Stewart. It's Adrian Lawrence once again, and this time I bring you the co-founders of Black Women Talk Tech. That's Asoso Igodero and Regina Gwynn, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Hello, hello. Hello, yes. So you want to talk to us a little bit about what do you do at Black Women Talk Tech? Absolutely, so we are two black women co-founders of Black Women Talk Tech. We're tech startup founders ourselves, built our own businesses over the past several years. And you know, introducing ourselves to the tech ecosystem was a, was a real challenge. Came from a non-technical background, but knew that I had a billion dollar business idea. And the challenges in terms of finding access to venture capital funding and technical talent and building the resources and the roadmap 
that we needed to to create these scalable businesses. Uh, even though Asosa and I were working on completely different ideas, uh, we found that our stories were so similar. And that was really the impetus behind creating Black Women Talk Tech and our fifth now fifth annual Roadmap to Billions conference. Wow, that is huge, fifth annual, that says a lot. Um, you know, so Asosa, how do you feel about this development and how it really came to be? Oh my gosh, every time I think about how we met as strangers at an event and coming into this, like this was not planned to like create this huge network of black women tech scalable business owners and this ecosystem full of investors, tech enthusiasts, women who work in tech um, to come together now and build this really large ecosystem for everyone to kind of help each other and scale your business. Like we're really talking about wealth building and supporting black businesses to grow to the next level. So it's it's been incredible, uh, especially being able to celebrate five years of uh, supporting black women founders uh, through access to the capital, education, partnerships, acquisition. I mean, you name it, we've been able to you know, witness it. And I just feel super blessed to be a part of that. <laughs> That's fantastic, because I know that the tech industry, it is not particularly hospitable to anyone who is a non-white male. And so wanting to break into that industry and thrive can be very difficult. But I'm guessing that Black Women Talk Tech provides resources so individuals are less alone in the struggle. If you could talk a little bit more about that, that would be great. Absolutely. You know, when we first started Black Women Talk Tech in the conference, we knew that we wanted to create a safe space. Um, we wanted to create an environment where Black women felt comfortable enough to ask the questions that they needed to ask in order to move the needle on their business. So, how are we crafting the content, knowing that we ourselves are founders? This organization was created by us and for us, and we wanted to make sure that we were providing the type of conversations. How are we talking about intersectionality? How are we talking about the challenges? In, in literally raising funds. And if we aren't getting a seat at the table, how are we essentially building our own? Um, so we, we're excited to take that to the next level this year. We've got conversations around legal, marketing, finance, operations. Uh, we're gonna be talking about Bitcoin, artificial intelligence and AI, racial bias and coding, um, and just hearing from some amazing phenomenal speakers. So it's meant to be inspiring, it's meant to be empowering, um, and it's also meant to be applicable to your business. That, that is so impactful and so incredibly important, especially when it's a matter of becoming a part of a very uh, critical area of society and profession and largely having a lot of doors closed to you. And so Asosa, what has your journey been like in the tech industry? So it has definitely have been a challenge for me and many black women that look like me. It's not uncommon our stories to to say hey you know we have these billion dollar ideas i was working on a startup on artificial intelligence and image recognition and many of the times it's like you're working on that they they didn't even believe it you know and because many of the examples you see in technology today are often white males right so if it's not Peter Thiel or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates Great, great, great leaders, but not the only idea or standard of what a tech founder should look like. And we're hoping to kind of change that 
with um, our events. And so I found it very difficult navigating the tech ecosystem when it came to fundraising, when it came to finding the right hire and trying to convince someone who works at Google to come and work with you with your billion dollar idea, right? Or even just trying to figure out how to even navigate rooms of spaces that for the most part didn't look like you. So you're constantly up against all these newness, especially if you're a first time founder, it's a lot to learn, a lot to kind of develop and build upon. And so I found that truly difficult without an actual ecosystem. So I found myself trying to learn as much as I can through conferences and meetup groups, and then still kind of felt a little void because a lot of the experiences I was having, they're like, that happened to you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that, that did. So um, we it was, it was really like a big hug having the opportunity to build uh, Black Women Talk Tech, a community of Black founders to connect, build, and converse on building our next company. And so that has been just the blessing uh, of my life. I can't tell you enough how much of a blessing it's been. That's really amazing. And I'm wondering, kind of, can you speak to any of the fruits of your labor that have come forward, of any of the women in your group, particularly that you have seen that you say, wow, you know, we played a role in this and we inspired this individual and supported them and we're excited in seeing more individuals who are representative of our community out there in positions where they can make change in tech. No, I love, I love, there's so many stories that we are so very proud to have been a part of. When we think about our, again, our very first conference, we had a founder there that received her first check. She was able to meet an investor at our conference that gave her her first you know, outside money in. That was in February of 2017. By the end of 2017, she had hit, what is it, nine, nine figure revenue. Um, and then turned that nine-figure revenue business into uh, raising the largest Series A round for a black woman at the time, two years later. Um, so we are so excited um, to, to be supportive of Crystal ATN, uh, founder of Panty Prop. Uh, she has been, you know, on fire uh, since ever, even before our conference. But we really just allowed everyone to get in the same room, right? When you know success is when preparation meets opportunity, these women are prepared. It's about getting them access to those opportunities and, and letting the, let, letting we, we sit back and say, hey, we, there, there's nothing else for us to do. Um, I could go on and on. We have so many stories of women who've entered our pitch competition. Every single one of our pitch competition winners have gone on to get into accelerators. They've gone on to close their investment rounds. They've gotten into new investment pipelines. Um, and so we're just excited to, to be a part of that and to expand that because we know we're only scratching the surface of what's to come. That is very, very Oh, it's just is really, really inspiring and exciting. And I know you guys are thrilled and excited about what's coming ahead. And so I know we only have just a few minutes left, but I would love to tap in if you guys can share what you both are working on. Sure. Um, but we are. <laughs> What are we not working on? <laughs> I know. I mean, like, <laughs> so much is going on when it comes to our conference next week. 
for Roadmap to Billions, which is the talk of the town because we are really gonna be unveiling a lot of great new opportunities for our founders, for our community at that forum. We have a $50,000 pitch competition by Estee Lauder, our presenting sponsor, Microsoft, and all these great corporates have really showed up in a really big way this year. And so we're super excited about that. We have some, I don't know, Regina, do you want to share some of the uh, cool goodness we're going to be <laughs> presenting? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, we're we're going to be rolling out the red carpet. We've got Melody Hobson, we've got Candy Burris, uh, we've got Timnit Gabru, uh, ex-Googler uh, who who's been a, a powerhouse around artificial intelligence, joining us next week. Um, but what's to come? Uh, we've got Black Men Talk Tech, um, an event coming up in October. Black Students Talk Tech, an HBCU initiative uh, focused on entrepreneurship and technology um, on the top 25 HBCU campuses. Uh, we have a new membership platform. We've got Black Kids Talk Tech. I mean, there are so many different ways that that to plug into this community to expand and grow, uh, as well as educate. You know, my my dad was an entrepreneur, and and so I grew up, you know, being exposed to this idea of running a business and had no idea you know where where I would end up but I knew that those dinner table conversations that I I'd seen as a kid was something that was very very impactful for me so we just want to continue to, to build that opportunity um, www.blackwomentalktech.com <laughs> if uh, if uh, if those that want to participate would love to join in wow all right then I can dig it and also in terms of these events that are going on, are people allowed to buy tickets? Is it virtual? Kind of how can we get in on this? Absolutely, it is a virtual conference. Um, you can buy a ticket at blackwomantalktech.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, same blackwomantalktech.com. And use code RTB25, RTB25 to get a little special discount. So uh, that's definitely the way you can join us next week. Excellent, Asosa Igodero and Regina Gwen, thanks for joining us.